And so if uh, you do happen to be uh, visiting, uh, my name's Chuck, and John introduced himself earlier, and we're the pastors here at TFRC. And um, if you are visiting with us, uh, what we're about to talk about, this is not normal <laughs> for us. Uh, you've come on a relatively unique uh, Sunday. We hardly ever talk about denominational issues uh, or the denomination in general here at TFRC. In my 17, 18 years here, um, we probably, I could count on one hand how many times we've talked about it. And it's been a good decade since we've done a real thorough discussion on human sexuality. So this is kind of a, uh, if you're visiting, a unique Sunday uh, for us. And so I just wanted to give you a heads up about that. Um, hey, John, will you repeat your disclaimer about kids in the room? Yeah, if you came in a little bit later, no guilt, I get it. The Austins are always 15 minutes late to everything. We get that. Um, but if you have kids in the room that, can, that could actually hear what we're saying and kind of understand it at all, we would really encourage, just based on some of the things we're about to talk about, that they're not in the room uh, this morning. And so um, feel free to just get up with your kid if you'd like to and bring them to the children's ministry and head on back um, if you'd like to. I mean, it's up to you. You can choose. Maybe it's a good time for a conversation with your kids, but we wanted to at least give you the disclaimer. So. Nope. Um, so this morning, we wanted to share with you things happening in our denomination, which is called the Reformed Church in America. Sometimes we'll just refer to it as the RCA. Uh, the purpose here is to inform. Uh, some people were wondering after the last service, why are we even talking about this stuff? Why, why are we bothering with it? Uh, and one of the major reasons is to inform you because no decisions at all have been made either by TFRC or the RCA, but because decisions could be coming down the road, you know, November-ish, um, and we would need to get some congregational approval of things, uh, we don't want to wait until October to tell you that. We need to give you time and space uh, and enough is happening in a denomination that now is the time. Um, and so we want to bring you up to speed now. Hey, our scripture reader for this morning is Ryan Fenderson. Ryan, uh, are you in the room? There you are, Ryan. Hey, as he makes his way up to the podium, I'm going to ask if you're able to stand and face the center of the room. Um, we read scripture from the center of the room to remind us that scripture is to be central in our lives. And we stand because we believe this is the word of God. And so, Ryan, uh, whenever you're ready, please read Genesis 1, um, verses 26 to 28. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Ryan, thank you very much. You may be seated. So um, the denomination is basically approaching a splitting point, for lack of a better way of saying it, um, and the straw that is breaking the camel's back, if you will, is the issue of human sexuality. Um, we talk a lot about being a vibrant community uh, here, and for TFRC, community um, includes being a part of a denomination, and denominationalism is really not very popular uh, these days, but the Reformed Church in America is a part of us, 
and TFRC is a part of it. Um, for Pastor John and I, uh, we didn't grow up in the Reformed Church. Um, we chose to become pastors in the Reformed Church. And the only way to do that, by the way, is to marry into it. And yeah, so that's yeah, what both that's, of us did. that did happen to both of us, so. but that's not the only reason why we did that. Um, we also became pastors in the Reformed Church because we like the Reformed Church. Uh, we like Reformed theology. Uh, we, like, um, it's, we like the structure of the Reformed Church. And we, uh, honestly, even though we did marry people who grew up in the Reformed Church, we could have become pastors in any uh, Christian tradition. We chose this one because we believe it's a faithful witness to our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, now, we don't want to go into all the history of the Reformed Church, but I do want to give a summary of how it is structured because our structure is important to understanding the circumstances behind our potential split. So I apologize if some of this seems a little bit academic, but it's kind of important to understand what's happening, okay? So when it comes to the structure of the Reformed Church in America, you basically have four different governing bodies. Um, and these are in order of from most local to most regional, the largest region. So uh, the consistory, the classes, the regional synod, and the general synod. And um, somebody designed a really nice um, graph of how this works. Look at that. Isn't that beautiful? John, Guys, who? that was me. <laughs> You if you need any graphics design work done, you just let me know. This is your guy. This is your man right here. It was beautiful. Um, hey, so just starting, so we're going to start from the bottom of that page, work its way up, uh, work our way up. So the local church um, is governed by something called the consistory. Um, it is made up of pastors, elders, and deacons. At TFRC, Pastor John and I are a part of it, and there are also seven elders and seven deacons that make up the consistory. And while the pastors, while we, have input and influence, we actually do not even have a vote on consistory. We answer to the consistory. Um, some church boards, um, you know, you can kind of say, well, some church boards are just the pastor's rubber stamp. Um, that's not the case for us. At TFRC, um, the buck stops with the consistory. Uh, the classes, which if you just go up a level there, um, the classes oversees a group of local churches. It is made up of pastors and elders from those churches in a local region. So our classes is made up of three churches in Idaho, one in Montana, and ten in the state of Washington. And the classes, and this is really important, is where most of the accountability for the local church happens. If a pastor or a church gets out of line, it is the classes that will intervene. The RCA is not really a top-down organization. The classes level has all sorts of authority. And um, just by the way, Pastor John and I are on the executive team of our classes, and I have the privilege of being the class's president. Isn't that nice? Um, so then on top of that, you have the regional synod, which is made up of pastors and elders of churches of, from an even larger region. Um, we are part of the uh, regional synod of the far west. Uh, churches, that includes all the churches west of the Rockies, all the Reformed churches rest of, west of the Rockies. And that's just general oversight of the classes. And then the general synod, which you see at the top, is pastors and elders of the entire denomination. There are about 900-ish Reformed churches. We're not a huge denomination. Uh, and the general synod meets one time a year. And the general synod can make statements 
for the entire denomination, and the General Synod can make decisions for the denomination, but the General Synod cannot just simply tell everybody else what to do. There is a process for making decisions that all the classes would have to follow, but that is not a simple process. Okay, so the way that we are structured, and again, I love the structure, but every structure has weaknesses, uh, and the way we are structured depends on good faith adherence to Reformed Church standards at the classes level. If the classes level doesn't have good faith adherence to um, Reformed standards, it can get pretty ugly pretty fast, actually. So if a Reformed Church... If someone, a Reformed Church pastor or someone else from the Reformed Church, and they were a part of a different class, let's say this represents us, and someone from this class is over here were to attend TFRC, and they were to see us do something that they thought was out of line, that was not consistent with Reformed um, either teaching or structure or something like that, um, they, what they couldn't do is they could not go to the General Synod and tell the General Synod, hey, uh, get TFRC in line. That's not what would happen. What they could do is they could try to talk to someone in our classes and get someone in our classes to come talk to us and get the classes to correct us. Um, but if the classes, if our classes ignored their complaint, even if their complaint was valid, there is not much they could do about it. So just because one classes doesn't like something another classes is doing, it gets complicated in doing something about it. And that's really important to understand. The nice thing about it is that it gives us relative autonomy with accountability. But the other thing is that if people aren't going to have good faith adherence to reform standards, well, that's where it begins to fall apart. Um, now, there has always been divergence in practice uh, in the RCA by various churches. There is a set reformed way to do worship on Sundays, a set reformed way to do the sacraments, a set reformed way of what you're supposed to be preaching on. Um, there's even reformed guidance in certain social issue stances. And there is all sorts of divergence in practice among the churches and the denomination about those things. And that's not all bad. Um, there is a level of tolerance for divergence from all Reformed Church practices. But that tolerance does have a breaking point. And differences in biblical understanding of human sexuality is pushing the denomination to that breaking point. Um, from time to time, for the last 40 years, the General Synod, that group at the top, has made declarations about the RCA's understanding of human sexuality. Uh, in particular, in regards to issues pertaining to LGBTQ community. Um, every time the General Synod has affirmed a traditional biblical view of human sexuality over the last 40 years, every time without exception. However, our structure is based upon good faith adherence on the classes level. And there are classes in our denomination who allow their churches to perform gay marriages and ordain gay clergy. Which for those of us who hold a traditional biblical view of sexuality, that is not acceptable. But if a classis allows it, again, if one classis allows it and we don't like it, 
Well, we can't come over there and tell them what to do. It doesn't work that way. Um, and so because of that, the last 10 years, this has been, this has dominated discussion at the General Synod. Because the General Synod can do stuff about it, but it's a complicated process. And so there have been two different commissions formed to try to resolve what is happening. Um, the last commission is called uh, Vision 2020. If you do a Google search of RCA Vision 2020, you can find the commission's report. They were to give recommendations to the General Synod meeting in, well, last year. But again, due to COVID, we didn't have a General Synod meeting last year. And so they're going to give the report this year. And this year, the General Synod is probably going to be held in October. Um, the report, though, was published last spring. And one of the recommendations on the report was something called gracious separation. Basically meaning, hey, if we can't figure this out, then let's just go our separate ways. But let's be gracious as we do it. Which is what has received the most interest from those holding the traditional biblical view of human sexuality. Okay? Um, and that's basically the current state of the union for the denomination. Now, now perhaps you're hearing this and you're feeling a little angsty or a little maybe angry about it or upset about it, whatever. Um, if you're feeling that way about just the state of affairs in the RCA right now, um, know that you're in really good company with Chuck and I. Uh, because we've been in the trenches on this one for years now, and we are equally angry, equally frustrated, and I would argue a little sad um, along the way as well. Um, as Chuck said earlier, both of us did not grow up in a Reformed church. Um, Chuck grew up Catholic, and then I grew up the opposite of Catholic, which is Pentecostal. Yes, it is. It's a little different. <laughs> um, but both of us, through God's leading, um, uh, ended up pursuing the pastorate in the Reformed Church. And we did so because we're convinced that Reformed theology is a very faithful interpretation of the Scriptures. And, and we're convinced that um, the Reformed Church's structure, even though it has weaknesses, is a good structure um, for churches and for pastors. There's, you know, when you have good structure around a church, it enables even more mission. It doesn't remove mission or the opportunity for it. And so, you know, the big question is, well, how in the world as a denomination did we get here, right? Maybe that's what you're thinking. Like, what went wrong to where we're in this weird situation where we're talking about church splits and all that stuff? You know, we could do like a half year long series on what went wrong because um, there's a lot of things that went wrong. But frankly, there's one big thing that went wrong in our denomination. Um, and that one thing is we, we misunderstood God's purposes for human sexuality. We misunderstood God's purposes for human sexuality. You know, and perhaps if you're like me, you think, yeah, like those people out there, maybe on the other side of the aisle, they have misunderstood God's purposes for human sexuality. And I would say, yeah, those people have. But I would also say, uh, maybe we have too. Like it's across the board. The American evangelical church has misunderstood scripturally how human sexuality works and for what purpose it exists at all. Uh, most of us in the room, because of where you grew up, you probably are guilty of this as well. And just to be fair, um, the reason we're in this situation is because there's a lot of church leaders and there's a lot of pastors that have not been faithful to the scriptures in talking about human sexuality. And just to throw ourselves in the mix, Chuck and I are both guilty here. 
Yeah, I, I think, you know, when, it, when we've been thinking about this and thinking about what we're going to say here, um, we do. We, we feel the weight of, of what we have done to maybe promote a misunderstanding of the purpose of human sexuality, and we'll own that, and we're serious when we do. Um, how much of it you want to own is up to you, but we're going to own our part. Now, we want to, I want you to see this misunderstanding um, starkly this morning. What, what's the big misunderstanding or the big miss when it comes to our, our approach to human sexuality regarding the scriptures? Um, if you have your Bible, I invite you to go ahead and open back up to our scripture reading this morning, um, Genesis chapter 1. If you're struggling to get there, mine says page 1, so you should get there pretty quickly. Uh, Genesis chapter 1 starting in verse 26. Um, this passage um, is a foundational passage about the purpose God has for humanity, okay? And, and let me just uh, read it for us here again a second. Just listen closely to this. It says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that, here's why we're making mankind, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animal, animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Now, if you take a look closely at verse 28, um, there's a, in verse 28, we get God's purposes, not just for why in the world do humans exist at all, but God's purposes for human sexuality right there in the first words of Scripture. Take a look at verse 28 again. Listen to this. It says, And God blessed them and said to them, listen closely, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. It says, do you see God's purpose for human sexuality in these words? The purpose of our sexuality is a simple one. It's to be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. Like that's it. That's the primary purpose. Um, to say it crudely, um, the purpose of human sexuality like um, attraction and gender and sex, all of that stuff, is about baby making, okay? Like, basic and simple, that's what it's all about. God's purpose for human sexuality, you might say, is fruitfulness, fruitfulness. It's about making babies, and in the process of making babies, we are fruitful, and we multiply, and we fill the earth, right? Like, that's how it works. In fact, this is the only place in all of the scriptures where you get a positive view on sexuality, it's here, in the first words in the scriptures. And what does it say? Sexuality is about baby making. <laughs> That's it. It's about baby making. Now, as I said, we evangelical Christians in America, that's pretty much all of us in the room, um, we have understood, or we have misunderstood um, a biblical human sexuality. We've missed it. And the way that we've misunderstood it is we've tried to elevate all kinds of other things as the primary purpose for human sexuality, right? Um, and the primary purpose that we in our culture, in our churches, talk about when we talk about sexuality is fulfillment, personal fulfillment, 
That's how we talk about it. We believe that sexuality is primarily about personal fulfillment. And there are a ton of Christian books by a lot of authors that both of us would respect. I'm talking about human sexuality and talking about human sexuality in those terms. Um, when Becca and I first got married, uh, we were given a book um, on um, you know, marriage and sex and all that, which I, I don't remember who gave me the book, but I find that creepy today that somebody gave us that. Um, but uh, the book that we got was from a, uh, the, the author. His name was um, Dr. Kevin Lehman. You maybe have heard of this guy. And the name of the book was Sheet Music. Sheet Music. I have an image of the book that we're going to put on the screen here. Which, there just for the record, that is a really creative title. I'm just, I just said it's pretty it's funny. It's really meaningful. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's creative. Sheet music, uncovering the secrets of sexual intimacy in marriage. Ah, you good with that? Now, if you, if you look, there's like that little gray tab there on the bottom right. And this is what it says. It's like a little tagline for the book. It says, more than one quarter million satisfied couples. Oh, a quarter million satisfied couples. In fact, there's a whole chapter in this book on sex and how to do it as a Christian. No joke. It's in the book. Now, human sexuality in our society and in our churches has become primarily about personal fulfillment and personal enjoyment and personal release. And, and this has been incredibly damaging to the church. It's been damaging. You know, on the more progressive side, the one that we like to pick on at least, right? Um, Sex as personal fulfillment has become a primary identity marker for those that would be kind of on the left side of this issue, right? And the things the progressive side are willing to do to fulfill, their, um, to fulfill themselves sexually looks like sexual orientation and gender identity. Um, why is sexual orientation so important for folks on the left side of things in our country? Well, it's personal fulfillment. That's why. Personal fulfillment. Why is gender identity so important for so many of us in our country? Again, it's personal fulfillment. It's about being fulfilled personally in our individual selves. You know, and many of us on the more traditional side, like the more traditional Christians in the room, you know, we take a look at progressive-minded folks that are talk, using language like that, and we do a whole lot of finger-wagging, like, those people, they are so wrong, they have misunderstood Scripture, like they've walked away from the faith. But frankly, we on the traditional side of this issue, we're really not all that better when it comes to human sexuality. At least functionally, we're not. Sexuality for us, on the more conservative side, well, it's primarily about personal fulfillment as well, isn't it? It's why so many couples in the church today choose to live together before they get married, right? Why do they do that? Because before I make any binding promises to this other person, I want to make sure that this is good for me and fulfilling for me. That's why. It's why so many marriages, and it's true of probably many in this room, were trapped in this vicious cycle of resentment toward their spouse over either a lack of sex or a spouse that wants too much sex, right? You've heard this, fellas in the room. I regularly hear husbands in the church complain about how their sex life is suffering, meaning they aren't getting enough of it in their lives. I hear that often. Hate to say it, but the the baseline or the background to that statement is 
personal fulfillment. It's about me wanting to be fulfilled. By the way, I'm going to get hate mail for that one, I think. I didn't see any guys stand up and leave, so we're in good shape so far. We're going to be okay. All the women are like, amen, you know. Woo! Pastor's on it today. Oh, by the way, women, you're just as guilty as the guys in the room in marriage. Why are so many wives resistant to sex, you know? I just don't feel like it tonight, you know? Like, I'm just not in the mood, you know? I, what does that mean? It's all about personal fulfillment. I'm fulfilled right now. Like, I, I don't need that for me right now. It's personal fulfillment, again. Why is it that in our country today, studies show 90% of men are regularly looking at porn? Why is it in our country right now, which to me is even more shocking, 80% of women in our society are looking at porn? Why is it that in the church those numbers are consistent here too? Why is that? Well, personal fulfillment. Personal fulfillment. Now, we're not saying um, sex as fulfillment is bad, right? Like, we're not saying that. But biblically, when we look in the scriptures, sex as fulfillment is way down on the priority list. It's way down on the priority list. Let me just say two things about this a second. Um, one, your sexuality, however you imagine it, can never fulfill that hunger and thirst that you have deep down inside of you. No matter how um, often you go after it, it won't. It will never satisfy you. It can't. And secondly, when, when we take our sexuality and we make it a primary thing about our personal fulfillment in life, it will always distort us, and it will always distort the people around us in our lives too. It always will do that. It's damaging to us and the world around us. Now let's turn to the big question of the day, right? So what about same-sex marriage? Like, Where does that fit in the scriptures? You know, what we could do, and Chuck and I decided not to do this, was we could have just gone through the scriptures and cherry-picked out all the verses that talk about homosexuality and read them to you and said, see, there you go, move on. But we decided, you know, you can Google those yourself, and you can read them, and you should. Go for it. But what we wanted to do, instead of just doing that, is we wanted to show you the scope and the trajectory of the Scripture's attitude toward marriage, and especially same-sex marriage, okay? Yeah, we want to talk about something called biblical trajectory. Um, there are some subjects in the Bible, actually there's a lot, that seem to be both affirmed in certain places and then restricted or condemned in others. Um, and so looking at simply one verse or a group of verses doesn't always give us the discernment that we are looking for. And so what we, the biblical trajectory asks the question, what is the biblical movement on a particular topic? And let me just start with an example. What does the Bible have to say about what we eat? Do you realize the Bible has a lot to say about what we eat? Um, uh, and so there are, there are certain places in the Bible that really restricts what we eat. So what do we do with those? Well, what's the biblical trajectory in regards to food laws? Um, is there more freedom given over time or are there more restrictions given over time? Well, in regards to food laws, I don't know if you realized it, but food laws occur first in the Garden of Eden before the fall where God tells them you can eat plants all you can eat. 
bad I re- news. Yeah, that's bad news. You know, we, uh, Garden of Eden, that was paradise. Not if you like cheeseburgers, because you were only allowed to eat plants in the Garden of Eden. Okay? Impossible burgers, that's it. Yeah, that's all yeah. you can have was impossible burgers. Very good. Um, so, then, after the flood, you were allowed to eat animals. But the Bible goes on to detail what animals you can eat. There were some animals you could eat and certain animals that you couldn't eat. So, Garden of Eden, plants only. After the flood, you can start eating animals, but uh, Mosaic Law had certain food restrictions of which animals you could eat. No bacon. Yeah, no bacon. bacon. Also bad news. Bad news, absolutely. Um, So in the New Testament, uh, when we get to the New Testament, there comes to a place where we are told you can eat any animals, even meat sacrificed to idols, as long as it doesn't cause another believer to stumble. And so now you can eat bacon, which is good because there's no such thing as leftover bacon. So that's very important. Um, The trajectory on what we can eat is increased freedom. But what about something like slavery? What is the trajectory on that? Well, in the Old Testament, slaves are kind of assumed. And there really are pretty limited regulations in what you can, you know, in what slave owners can do. It's pretty small. They can do a lot. There aren't many restrictions on a slave owner. Um, Then in the New Testament, there comes quite a bit more instructions on how you're supposed to treat your slaves. And slave owners, um, uh, (laughs) they get restricted on what they can and can't do to their slaves. And Paul even advocates to one slave owner to let one of his other slaves go. Let him go free. Um, And Paul will also list slave traders in a list that includes murderers, liars, and the sexually immoral. And so what is the trajectory on slavery? Well, slavery is being phased out. So sometimes the Bible increases freedom on a topic over time, and sometimes it increases restriction on a topic over time. So what does it do with sexuality? Well, with sexuality, it at best keeps it the same. I would argue it gets more restrictive, at least a little bit. Um, beginning in Genesis 1, 26 to 28, where it says, be fruitful, multiply. There you go. Uh, Genesis 2 says, one man and one woman. Okay. Then after that, the fall happens. And after the fall happens, it's like, whatever you want, man, just do it all. It's fine. It's like chaos. Um, and then the Bible starts reigning that in. Uh, Leviticus 18 formally puts all kinds of restrictions on human sexuality. There are 17 different restrictions that Leviticus 18 puts on human sexuality. Uh, one or two of those are on, on restrictions on same-sex relationships, but that's just one or two of the 17. Um, and even with all those restrictions in Leviticus 18 and other places, polygamy continues to be allowed in the Old Testament. Happens all the time. Well, by the time we get to the New Testament, polygamy isn't allowed. Uh, In the book of Titus, having only one wife is a criteria for church leadership. It's assumed that you're not going to practice polygamy by the time you get to the New Testament. And then in 1 Corinthians 6 and 1 Corinthians 7, uh, Paul starts doing stuff that I'm not sure many of us would be very comfortable with. Okay, 1 Corinthians 6, Paul says, do not be mastered by anything. Don't let anything master you. And the two examples he gives 
are what you eat and sexuality. So again, piggybacking off of what John said, it's not about fulfillment. Because if it's about fulfillment, it's now your master. And Paul says, don't let anything, in particular food and sexuality, um, master you. And then in 1 Corinthians 7, he says, it is good to not have sexual relations with your spouse. We're all still here. Yeah, seriously. 1 Corinthians 7, you can look it up. He said, it is good to refrain. But he says, I understand that if a lot of you try that, (laughs) you're not going to make it, and you're going to start doing all sorts of sexual immoral stuff. And so in order to prevent you from committing all sorts of sexual immorality, go ahead and have sexual relations with your wife, because he's addressing the men at the time. It's really frowned upon, like if you have to. Yeah, that's really the attitude. Well, if you can't control yourself, it's fine, go ahead. But if you can control yourself, it's good that you don't. That's pretty restrictive, folks. And so the Bible begins with one man and one woman, be fruitful and multiply. In the New Testament, husbands and wives have sexual relations if you have to, okay, to avoid sexual immorality. And there's that moment after the fall where it just became a free-for-all for everyone, but then the Bible begins to rein that in over time, and the biblical trajectory with sexuality is it gets more restrictive, and it's always limited to a husband and a wife. Now, now what about same-sex uh, marriage in particular, right? Like, what, what do the scriptures do with that? Does it, does it slowly become less restrictive, restrictive, or does it slowly become more restrictive And I think the trajectory as you kind of work your way through the scriptures is that it doesn't do either of those things actually. It just stays constant. It's a constant message throughout the scriptures that same-sex sexual relations is a sin. It just is. It says so in Leviticus, and it says it again in the New Testament. It just stays consistent. The message never changes. It's not the way that God intended his creation to function, okay? And so at TFRC... This is what we believe a faithful reading of Scripture around human sexuality looks like. Now, with that all said, I do think it's really important um, for us to check our attitude towards the LGBTQ community. Um, We want LGBTQ people in the church. Um, You know, there are multiple kinds of sexual sins that occur within the church all the time, all the time. Um, We're not naive, (laughs) okay? Um, And I think a really good question for us is do we treat the LGBTQ community harsher than those committing other sexual sins? Because if the answer is yes, that's not okay. That's sin too. You know, we are called to be Christ's ambassadors. 1 Corinthians 5 says, All of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation, 
We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Now, when people in America are polled about their understanding of the evangelical Christian church, one of their top responses when giving their understanding of the evangelical Christian church is that the evangelical Christian church is against gay people. Well, as Christ's ambassadors, that should really bother us. Um, and that, that perspective from those polls may not be and probably is not 100% fair and accurate. I don't think that's a completely fair description of us. But I would also say it's also not a 100% unfair description either. I think there's truth to it. The message of reconciliation. We are called to bring the message of reconciliation to all people. And when we bring the message of reconciliation to all people, a bad strategy would be to tell a certain group of people, you're going to hell. Okay? That's a bad strategy as an ambassador. Surely, as ambassadors, we can do better than that. And if we are serious about bringing the message of reconciliation to all people, including the LGBTQ community, well, it's going to get messy. And we don't have all the answers. But if we are going to be faithful to our call, as we see the culture shift, we are going to have to figure out how to do ministry to the LGBTQ community well. If we're going to be faithful to our call as Christ's ambassadors. And if we're not going to be ambassadors of Christ to the LGBT community, who is? You know, it's us. It's us. And so we have this state of the denomination, right? It's chaos. There's, a, and there's an imminent split. It's happening. It's coming. Um, we have um, our, our belief around human sexuality, um, that it's not primarily there for our personal fulfillment, um, that, are, that um, there are boundary markers, right? That um, uh, same-sex relationships, that is a product of the fall. It's, we call it sin. So, so with all of that, right, well, what does this mean for us in regard to our church and our denomination? Uh, it means four things. Okay? The first, because of our biblical understanding around human sexuality, we cannot in good faith affiliate with an open and affirming denomination. We can't. It wouldn't be honest if we did that. We'd be marginalizing our witness, what we actually believed, if we were to do so. And secondly, because of that, this means we're likely going to have to leave the RCA. It's going to happen. For some of us in the room, that's a really painful reality. For others of us, we didn't know we were in the RCA until today, you know. Um, um, but despite leaving the RCA, three, we will remain reformed. 
We will remain reformed. Theologically, we will remain reformed. And organizationally, we will remain reformed. That sign that's out on the corner that says Twin Falls Reformed Church is going to stay that way. Like, that's not going anywhere at all. Uh, We affirm the creeds and confessions of the faith. We will continue to do so. We will remain organizationally the same. We will be a consistory-led church. None of that's going to change one bit no matter what happens. Yeah, that's really important to us because it, it is. It's really tempting, and it's a fair question to ask. Hey, well, let's just go independent. If we're going to leave our denomination, let's go independent. And, and as we said earlier, we became pastors of the Reformed Church because we liked it. Um, if we wanted to become pastors of independent churches, there were plenty of independent churches we could have become pastors of early on. Um, and so for us, uh, and I think just because of the history of who this community of faith has been, I think it would be best if we could land with another Reformed tradition that better aligns with us, and there are options. Yeah, and so lastly, um, because of all of this, um, our consistory uh, uh, has already begun looking for a new denomination. They've, they've already been on the search. Um, we're looking around, folks, to try to figure out where does TFRC land next? Like, what, what does this look like for us structurally? Um, we have that classes that Chuck talked about, that, that local region of churches, and, and we kind of have a, a spoken agreement together as a group of churches that we're going to try to do this whole thing together. And if it's moved to another denomination, we're going to try to do that together. So, so we're looking around, and as Chuck said, there are options. Um, we're taking a look at uh, one denomination is the Evangelical Covenant Order, which sounds cultish to me, but it's not. I promise you. It's not. It's great. Another, for all of you Dutch folks in the room, you may, this may bother you, we're also looking at the Christian Reformed Church. I know, it's a tough pill to swallow, uh, but we'll... And also, uh, the RCA, there's a split that's imminent. It's going to happen. And there's a lot of conservative churches that are trying to cobble together a new denomination. And maybe that happens. And maybe we land there as well. We don't know yet, but we are looking around and we're having those conversations already. With, with the basic understanding that at TFRC, we are going to stay reformed theologically and stay reformed organizationally. Like, that is a constant for us. Yeah, and, and again, John and I have been... Uh, a part of this on all sorts of different levels within the denomination. In the last 10 years, between the two of us, we've been to five general synods. Um, Which is a joy, by the way. It's like watching C-SPAN in real life. Yeah, it's that good. except for C-SPAN's more exciting. Um, and then uh, we've been a part of regional synod meetings um, as recent as October in regards to all of this. Uh, our classes, we, we talk about this with our classes every month. Uh, in fact, we just talked about it this last week again. And so we are keeping, you know, we're keeping our finger on the pulse of what's happening in the denomination, and we are um, helping guide both TFRC and the classes um, through it. So, um, but the bottom line is, regardless of what happens, um, everything's going to be okay. Okay? It's going to be okay. Um, we believe in the providence of God. God is at work in all things. And TFRC and our ministry is going to be fine regardless of what happens uh, with the denomination. Now, we don't know how God is going to work everything out. Maybe something happens at General Synod in the fall and we don't have to have this conversation again. Um, But we don't know how God's going to work everything out. But God's going to work everything out. I mean, like, one of the things that it means to be reformed theologically yeah. is we believe in God's sovereignty and God's providence. 
And we believe that in this moment, even though it's hard. Yeah, that's absolutely true. God, is, God just isn't at work when everything's hunky-dory, okay? He's at work all the time. Um, and so we don't know how God's going to work everything out, but he's going to work everything out because that's what God does. And we fully expect him to continue to do what he always does, and he's going to work this out. Um, and we're going to hold steadfast in our commitment to Christ and the gospel, and it's going to be okay. Um, now, there's a good chance some of you have more questions about all of this. Um, and so we want to create a space for that. Next week, um, we're going to have a luncheon after this service, after the second service, uh, in the fireside room which is if you go out that door and take a left, you hit the fireside room. Um, and we want to use that time to answer any questions you may have about this. Again, the reason we're bringing this up now is because we want to give you time to process and think and discuss and ask questions. And so we're going to uh, give a chance for you to ask questions next week. Um, we're going to ask that you sign up for that at the information booth. If you go out those doors, information booth's off to the right. And we need you to sign up for that because we have no idea how many people are going to come. And we need to be prepared for uh, food for as many of you come. And if it gets too big, we'll move it out of the fireside room. But at this point, it's going to be next Sunday after the second service in the fireside room. Anything you want to add, John? Nothing. Okay. Uh, then let's pray. Lord, we come before you and we thank you for your providence. We see and hear what is happening with our brothers and sisters in our denomination, and we don't always know how to respond. And so we take courage that you are in control, that you can work your purposes in all things. And Lord, we are trying to remain faithful to your call. Your call to be obedient to your word, your word which instructs us in how to live in regards to our sexuality, and your word which instructs us to be Christ's ambassadors, bringing the message of reconciliation to all people. And so uh, we pray for our larger community of faith, the Reformed Church in America. We pray for all of its leaders on every level as we all try to navigate to do what is best in your eyes. And Lord, we will do our best to do what is right in your eyes. And Lord, we will trust in your grace for when we fall short. Lord, I thank you for TFRC and the call you have given us to be your light here in the Magic Valley and around the world. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Church, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord raise his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen, church?